Father, this is our prayer that you would be magnified, that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted high in this place, in our hearts and in our homes, that Emmanuel, God with us, might be the proclamation every moment, every day in this season. God, we love you and we praise you, for you are mighty counselor, everlasting father. Prince of Peace, and we rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. In this season of Advent, uh, we've been doing a short study that I've called the Parents' Perspective. Really, just because as I've gotten a little bit older, and uh, and I've had my children grow up and have children, I just found myself thinking, what about the parents? Uh, How were they reacting and how were they engaged in this story that we're so familiar with? We know that the families of Mary and Joseph were both in the lineage of uh, David, and so Jesus was qualified uh, to be the Messiah, the son of David, on both sides of his family. And, but there's a little bit more that we need to understand and we want to dig in on. We often study about Joseph. I, I love to study about Joseph, the husband of Mary. That's the way that he's described in scripture. Uh, he's the earthly stepfather of Jesus. He lived in Nazareth, of course. He was betrothed to Mary. Uh, he was visited actually three times by an angel, by Gabriel, uh, that are recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. He traveled to Bethlehem with Mary, and then later to Egypt, and then all the way back to Nazareth. So he was a traveler. He, he was an on-the-road kind of guy. He was a protective man. He protected Mary and baby Jesus. You know, what's so fascinating is that we don't have a single word or conversation recorded uh, that was uttered by Joseph. We don't hear any of his words, but boy, do we see his actions. It occurred to me one time when I was studying this, uh, sometimes the ladies will say, well, my husband, he's quiet. He doesn't say very much. Well, you don't have to say a lot uh, to be a loving and protective man of God. Amen? And we see that very much in Joseph. What we see is his faithful response to the voice of God, to the direction of God. What do we know about the family of Joseph? The easy, quick answer is not very much. We, we don't have a whole lot about uh, either of these families. Uh, we'll have a little bit more we'll talk about later with Mary. But the father of Joseph is mentioned in two scriptures, And it's a little bit confusing, even, when we look at it. I'll read the uh, scriptures. I would have you stand up, but you'd be sitting down so quickly, you'd feel like we were doing an exercise class. But Matthew 1.16 says, and it's in the lineage that's recorded of Jesus, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ, So Matthew says that the father of Joseph, his name was Jacob. And then in Luke chapter 3, we have uh, the lineage, uh, according to Luke, says Jesus 
when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. So, is it Jacob, or is it Heli? I find myself wanting to ask, Joseph, who's your daddy? (laughs) How do we find that out? How can someone have two fathers... And some have supposed, well, it's the same person, they just have the uh, two different names. Because that happens sometimes in the Bible. We know of other situations like that. But they have different lineages. Uh, they're not the same person. Uh, and so we need to dig in, in on this and understand a little bit more. There's a solution uh, that was arrived at by an historian named Eusebius in the 4th century. He was born in 265 A.D., He actually did research among the the continuing existing family of Christ and and learned some things that are very, very helpful to us. And it's a little bit complicated, so I'm going to ask some friends to come up here and help me uh, describe this uh, situation that was going on. So I have uh, some actors that are going to come up here, and uh, they're not going to have a lot of lines. Uh, So first of all, I want to have, you can come over on this side. Uh, Come here, this is going to be Heli, okay? This is Heli. And Heli was the the half-brother of Jacob. So we have Jacob over here. We can go to the next slide because this is described there. And so Heli was married uh, to his wife. (laughs) And we don't know her name. That's really kind of sad because she's kind of a hero in this story. Uh, But they were married, and before they could have children, before they had any children, Heli died. I told him to not be too dramatic, but we're going to move him to the side here, okay. And so, uh, Heli, that's really kind of sad. You've got him upside down. Okay, that's good. That's probably good. All right, so the wife of Heli, she didn't have any children for Heli. And so, we know that in Scripture, there is... uh, a scripture in Deuteronomy 25 that says that the brother, and this is, remember, the half-brother of Heli, is obligated to marry uh, the widow, his sister-in-law, so that a child can come that will honor the lineage of the one uh, brother who died. And so this is exactly what happened. Uh, The wife of Heli was married to half-brother Jacob, And they had a child named Joseph. You should applaud. Okay. And it's really kind of an amazing thing. So so Jacob married the widow of Heli and fathered Joseph. So Joseph was the biological son of Jacob, but the legal son of Heli. And that's why we have this description. Sometimes people say, well, there's contradictions in the Bible. No, they're just describing a complicated situation. There's complications in the Bible. So thank you very much. And you could keep this as your Christmas gift, but we'll maybe use it at the next service. Thank you very much. Give them a, a round of applause there. For me, sometimes it just helps to see things a little bit. And as I was studying this, I thought, and you thought you had a complicated family. Have any, any of you ever thought that? Um, here, Joseph's dad was also his uncle. Isn't that something? 
It reminded me of the Willie Nelson song, I'm My Own Grandpa. Do you remember that? It's, uh, look it up sometime. It's really fun. We don't have the name of Joseph's mother, um, and really we should. She's kind of a hero. She was married to two, to two brothers. How many of you would say that's a hero in, in, in any, anybody's book? But I found myself asking this question, can God use someone from a complicated family? That's my question of the day. And my quick answer is, I sure hope so. Because I come from a complicated family. Just about a week ago, someone asked me, they said, now, Pastor Jeff, do you have any siblings? And I said, well, you have some time. (laughs) Because I have a brother, and then I have a sister who was born two months after my father died. And then my mother remarried, and I have two stepbrothers, and I have two stepsisters. That's seven so far. And then there are two step-half-sisters, I even have step-half-nephews and nieces that I've never, ever even met. How many of you would say that's a complicated family? I have a bunch of cousins. I have nine cousins on one side, and then a whole lot more that I can't even count on the other side. I mean, just to tell you how complicated that can get, when I first uh, was beginning to date Pastor Ann, our first date, uh, she asked me about my family, and I started explaining all this, and she'll tell you that she just about said, "I, I don't think I can handle that. This is just too much. She came from a very simple family. She, her mother was a only child. Her father was an only child. She had no cousins, no aunts, no uncles. So this sounded really, really complicated when I began to explain my family. But I really hope that God can use people who come from complicated families. Joseph then was raised by Jacob, uh, his biological father, and his mother, who we don't, don't know the name. And Joseph, uh, the family was from Bethlehem. We know that because of the going back to Bethlehem to be enrolled and taxed and all that sort of thing in our story. But the family had moved from Bethlehem to Nazareth there in the north, about 100 miles by the the route, 90 to 100 miles. And it was near a a town called Sephoris, a huge building project that was going on all all during the lifetime of Jesus, which is the capital of Galilee. It was founded and built by Herod Antipas. So why did they move? Well, the reason would be work. They moved to work. The family trade was carpentry, and the other uh, translation for that is stone cutting. It's the same word. In other words, construction. Jesus was raised as a construction worker, and his father was a construction worker, Joseph. They, They worked with their hands, and his father was a construction worker. Jesus was called a carpenter's son. And a trade was passed from father to son and father to son. So almost certainly, Jacob was a carpenter, a stone cutter. There were these huge construction projects going on in Sephoris. And sometimes we visit, we visit there many, many times when we're in Israel. And as we're there, sometimes people say, now why are we here? What happened here? Was there something in the Bible here? And here's what most scholars conclude. You look around, and almost certainly Jesus could have laid the stones that you're looking at here. Jesus and his father, Joseph. And so that's why they have been in this area, working perhaps, probably, on these 
construction projects. So Jacob was Joseph's primary father figure. And he was the one who raised him to be what the Bible calls a just man. A a, a man who wanted to do the right thing, live according to the law, but be fair and do the right sort of thing. And so the only real legacy of Jacob, um, the, the father of Joseph, is in his son, Joseph. Jacob raised his son to be someone who would work hard. We know that. He raised his son to do things the right way. He raised his son, Joseph, uh, knowing that you get betrothed, and then you wait until marriage. And that's what everyone knew in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish teaching. Jacob, Joseph's father, would have been involved in that betrothal that we talk about. We read the scripture every year, and the betrothal was a ceremony, it was an arrangement that took place, and it was as binding as marriage, but they did not live together, they did not move in together. That was later when the actual wedding, the marriage took place. And so that betrothal was, was arranged between the two fathers. Jacob would have met with Mary's father to negotiate a bride price and a dowry. That was what each side put in. The, the uh, groom's family put in a bride price and, and paid that, and then uh, the... The bride's family put in this dowry that would help them all get started. That was an arrangement. It was a negotiation. The truth is, we don't know anything about the reaction of the parents of Mary and Joseph. When, When this pregnancy, this crisis pregnancy came up, the Bible is silent about their reactions. We often, uh, I love so many of the, of the movies and the dramatic presentations, um, but, because they show the reactions, but we don't know anything about that. Those dramatizations are, are fictional. They're, they're based on what we think we would have said or what we think uh, the ways that we might have responded. I mean, there's a parental question that arises. What do you do? And what do you say when your son tells you that his bride-to-be, he's engaged, is now pregnant? I mean, how do you respond? I mean, there's some, uh, what were you thinking, son? (laughs) How did this happen? Never mind. (laughs) I know how this happened. There could have been some anger because Joseph apparently dishonored his own family in this. But Joseph would have made it clear The baby is not from me, Dad. I don't know how to explain this to you. And now there there may have been some anger against the family of Mary. Well, what kind of family is this? They were trying to pin this on my son. What is going on here? I mean, they negotiated this bride price. And and I'm going to expect some repayment of that bride price. And of course, we know that in the background, because we've studied it before, that Mary could have been stoned legally because of this, whatever had happened, this dishonor against the betrothal. Well, we don't know of any case in history where that actually happened, but that was part of the law. And then she had this crazy explanation. What do you mean, God did this? You know, a son will often ask his dad, what am I supposed to do, dad? I mean, my boys come to me and my daughter as well. In a tough situation, in those hard, hard situations, what am I supposed to do? I just don't know what direction to go. 
And all that we really know out of any discussions that took place are the actions, what we see Joseph doing. Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put her to shame. He wasn't going to humiliate her. He could have had a big trial where all this was exposed. He resolved to divorce her quietly, the scripture says. No public humiliation and certainly no stoning. He wasn't going to do that. And then, of course, the angel shows up and explains a few things. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold... And behold means, don't miss this, (laughs) an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's telling the truth. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, which means salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. And then in verse 24, when Joseph woke from the dream, uh, from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, was not joined with her, until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus, exactly as, as he was instructed. We don't hear any words, we don't hear any conversations. What we see are actions. What we know when we look, is that Joseph was raised by Jacob to be a hard-working man who would pass on a trade. He passed on the trade, the, the, the skills of his hands to his son Jesus. We also know that he raised uh, Joseph to be a compassionate and just man who would not overreact in pride. What do you mean? And, and have some kind of a, a reaction. He raised him to be a protective man who would care for his family, um, even if it meant fleeing to another country that he had never been to. He raised Joseph to be a man who would listen to God and do exactly what he was told. He was obedient to the word of God. So that's the testimony that we see about the family of Joseph. It's in the life, in in the actions of Joseph. And so I, I go back to my question, which is, can God use someone from a complicated family? And the answer appears to be a resounding, say it with me, yes. It's so important. Because these days I meet more and more families that are more and more complicated. Maybe you do too. People come to me and they they share with me things that are going on and they are very complicated situations. And here's the truth. Whatever has gone on in the past, whatever has been back there, God can use people who arise from complicated families. He's done it for centuries and centuries. Someone say, praise God. Yeah. Because that's the way God works. Every once in a while, I think about, well, what is my family legacy? And maybe you think about that too. You see, we can't control our lineage or our genealogy or 
who died at a certain time or who remarried at a certain time and what kind of blending. I often have said we did blended family before it was even popular. (laughs) We can't control those things. We can't change the confusing parts of our family. Some of us have some confusing parts and times in our family. We can only look forward and build a legacy that follows God and his plans for us. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for the families of the Holy Family. I thank you for the the family of our Bible, the, the family that you have built out of in these generations. I thank you. And I thank you that no matter what has gone on in my life in the past, you have a future that you are putting before me and before each and every one of us. May we never be found saying that we cannot be used by God. God, you are the one who determines that. Nothing is beyond your reach. Nothing is beyond your ability. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.